20 years, 15, 20 years, um, churches and organizations have participated in a global movement that has been referred to as Orphan Sunday, Stand Sunday, um, or Pure Religion Sunday. And I know we're not necessarily a programmatic church, right? Um, So I didn't, like, do a lot of hoopla around what that meant, but also letting you know that... um, Part of why I'm here today is to stand within that movement and be a part of that and and somehow, as our own congregation, look at how we can also contribute in that way. So I kind of wanted to give you um, a little bit of context, um, also just knowing that November is um, National Adoption Awareness Month, and that is really about just looking at um, increasing awareness around adoption and the needs surrounding that community. And then also um, just really talking about what does it mean to care for the orphan from a biblical standpoint. I've been in this space in my work life for 23 years, um, and I knew that it was the orphan was scriptural, but I would say I know much more about caring from the orphan from a psychological, social work standpoint than I've maybe even known about it from a biblical standpoint. And even though I've known they've been in alignment, um, it still it still really does stem from the root of God does care about the orphan. Um, so I kind of wanted to tell you about a little bit about the organization that kind of spearheads this movement, um, Christian Alliance for Orphans. Uh, all of Crest, the agency I work for, um, works in tandem with CAFO. And when I was studying for my doctoral program, I learned a little bit more about CAFO. Um, they're based out of, I think, Tennessee. Anyways, um, they began in 2004, and they are a nonprofit agency, and their goal is to inspire and equip Christians to effectively live out the Bible's call to care for the orphaned and vulnerable children. And so it unites 250 organizations globally and churches that really come alongside and look at this. So, like, global care for the orphan is going to be manifested very differently in the United States versus in um, unreached people groups versus in third world countries and even more um, modern countries. And they really kind of look at how to do that well within communities and within those contexts. So it doesn't look the same for everybody. So, like I said, this this particular Sunday has been referred to as Orphan Sunday. It's also been referred to as Stand Sunday. And CAFO has really had this desire to unite the language and has moved to what's called Pure Religion Sunday, obviously based off of the verse of James 127. But I wanted to read to you kind of where this came from because I do think they're powerful movements of, they were organic movements, right? They weren't just even programmatic in the beginning. Um, and there's been some programming around it. But I still think the the beginning spaces of where these things started are pretty powerful. So Orphan Sunday, it says, Each year since 2004, the church has celebrated God's heart for orphaned and vulnerable children on the second Sunday in November, um, first through Orphan, and then in 2017 through Sand Sunday, when two efforts merged together. So Orphan Sunday came as a gift from the church in Africa. While attending a church in service in Zambia, an American visitor witnessed the local pastor's passionate call to care for orphans. In a community that has been ravaged by AIDS and poverty, at at the first ever Orphan Sunday service ended, one after another, the people stepped forward, giving out of their own need, offering their food, and some even taking off their own shoes and placing in the offering basket for orphans. The visitor, Gary Schneider, was so deeply impacted by what he had witnessed that he began to help Zambian leaders coordinate Orphan Sunday efforts across Zambia and also shared the vision in the U.S. as well. In 2009, the Christian Alliance for Orphans began providing United Leadership to make Orphan Sunday a catalyst for awareness and action across the U.S. and worldwide. Today, churches and organizations in more than 100 nations observe Orphan Sunday annually. 
We pray the church all over the world may be as faithful as our Zambian brothers and sisters to reflect God's heart on the orphan, both near and far. And then Stan Sunday, um, when Bishop Aaron Blake, a pastor and foster and adoptive father, left his breakfast table for church on Sunday one morning in 2000, November 2004, he had a sermon prepared, and it wasn't about foster care. In quotes, I had prepared a sermon to preach that morning that I had worked all week, and I stood up to bring the message when the breakfast table image of our boys came back into my mind. The faces of our sons seemed to multiply in emotions, and as I recalled the image from the breakfast table earlier, I knew that God was prompting our church to answer the call to care for children and broken families. Without explanation, Bishop Blake said to his congregation, Brothers and sisters, there's nearly 30,000 children in the foster care system in Texas and nearly half a million in the U.S. And he asked this one simple question, and he wasn't expecting a verbal answer. His question was, who will stand with me to defend, care, support, abused, abandoned, and neglected children in our community? After a brief moment of silence, one lady in the back of the church stood up and simply replied, Pastor, I will. Like a tiny smoldering ember dropped in a pile of thirsty pine needles, her voice began to multiply, and to his amazement, Bishop Blake watched as one family after another joined their voices to hers. As a result of that day, this church and the surrounding community has cared for and adopted hundreds of children in foster care over the last 12 years. And in fact, their county actually has more than enough foster families to meet the need. That's, and that's pretty incredible. Um, so now, like they've, like I said, CAFO has kind of united, and all of Chris they work for, will we'll go beyond more on the premise of Stand Sunday because they're more about the orphans and the care of foster care. Um, but they want really this united language. And what I like about their, their kind of merging the two and they say you can use whatever you want is they're recognizing that the way that churches care for the orphan will manifest differently depending on the need, depending on their congregation, right? And I think this fits well within our congregation and thinking about like what and how could we maybe do this because we are a different breed. In fact, I met with some of our church engagement leaders, and they were like, let me throw you all this material, which I have some. But I said, well, I said, we are a, we are a bit of a different beast. And they're like, what do you mean? So I was kind of gently explaining to them kind of how we do things and how we're not program-oriented and how we're more needs-based oriented and how, you know, this is more like if we see something and we want to do it, we talk about like, who's going to do it, and how can we do it, and there's always space for it, but it's not like we have this ministry or this program that we have established for it. So I like what CAFO is doing in recognizing that there is a unity, but also the diversity depending on depending on how it wants to manifest. And I think the two different um, platforms of how this began also manifest how it can be used differently depending on the need. So... We're going to go to the part that scares me the most, um, which is um, insight for caring for the orphan. And I really think in this context, it's really more about within your gates. There's nothing about global orphan care that's bad, and we all maybe participate in some way when you think about, like, world vision or even, um, and not necessarily all those children are orphaned, but I think we often think of them as vulnerable children. But I really want to focus on what it means about in our communities, in our back door. So um, the meaning of orphan in scripture generally is referred to um, is fatherless. Um, and there's one other um, interpretation where it's rendered as orphans, but mostly it's the child who has lost one or both parents. Um, it's referred to 42 times in the Old Testament, and it's referred to twice in the New Testament. And that word is the Greek word is called orphanos. So the other thing is, is when, when the reference is made to orphan, it's generally looking at the fair treatment <clears throat> along with groups of other society that are maybe considered vulnerable or weak 
or in need. Um, and that would be the widow, stranger, and poor, and even sometimes the Levite, who is lumped in there because they, I'm not super sound in this, but they, they often just have what's provided for them, right? They can't have extra, and so they're lumped in that, that group of being need, need and needed provision. Um, so I want to turn to James 19, and the, the, the passage is, the, the main verse is the James 19 27, but I kind of want to back up to James, oh, oh sorry, James 1, <laughs> I have the wrong reference, 20 through 27. Um, okay, well, maybe not, I gave you the wrong one. 19. So you know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Now everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doer of the word, not just hearers who who deceive themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at the natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who has looked intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, has continued in it. Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks of himself to be religious, yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this person's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep one self unstained by the world. So there's a lot in there, and I'm not saying I have all this right, but based on what I've read and based on what I've I've studied thus far, um, really looking at this chap this chapter of James is looking about testing of our faith and being doers of the word, manifesting our our faith in action indeed, not just word, and not, and not in um, saying one thing and doing the other of hypocrisy. So part of this context of being doer of the word is how it applies to how do we care for the widow and the orphan who are considered um, vulnerable in need. So by caring for the orphan, we demonstrate our faith in action, just not, not in word, but by obeying and doing the commandments of God. Caring for the orphans also sets us apart as God's people in our obedience and love for him and in our neighbors. And also by being doers of the word, we're not just saying or telling others about obeying the commands, but we are demonstrating we are holy and set apart in world in word and deed, and we are in fact in the or in the world, but not of it. The other thing is in looking in scripture, there's something about God's character and and His love for the vulnerable, including the orphan. So I want to look at these two short, really short scriptures, which is Psalm 68, and I even have che- cheater tabs. <laughs> so that I don't bore you with looking for everything. But Psalm 68, 5 through 6. So it says, As a father of fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy dwelling. God makes a home for the lonely, and he leads out the prisoners in prosperity. Only the rebellious live in parched lands. And in Psalm 146, we read this today already. But the Lord watches over strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. So just looking at... God is a lot of things to us and to many people, um, and he is a God of love. But he does demonstrate this love and care for those who are vulnerable and weak. The other thing is the scripture talks a lot about how we as his people are to care for the orphan by not oppressing, mistreating, perverting justice, and we are also to provide for the orphan. So first I want to look at Exodus 22, 21 through 24. Thank you. 
Uh-oh. That might be the wrong one. Oh, no. I'm in the wrong spot. Sorry. So you shall not oppress a stranger, nor torment him, for you were a stranger in the land of Egypt. You shall not oppress any widow or orphan. If you oppress him at all, and if he does cry out to me, I will assuredly hear his cry. And my anger will be kindled, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. So in the context of this passage, it's talking about different laws that we are supposed to obey or or God's chosen people were supposed to be obedient to. And one of those things is this idea that we should not oppress. And when looking at the Hebrew word of what that means, it means to not afflict or to crush. And so looking at the context of this is that really there are, there are commandments about how they are to not be treated and how we should not be taking advantage of them and we should not be causing harm and bringing harm to them. And also in Zechariah 7, 8 through 10, <clears throat> Um, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, This is what the Lord of armies has said. Dispense true justice and practice kindness and compassion each to his brother, and do not oppress the widow or the orphan, the stranger or the poor, and do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And it kind of goes on to say how God is commanding, this is in, I think, in the during the time of, oh no, that was a different one, okay. Just ignore that part. But anyways, it's talking about how we are not to be oppressive towards the widow and orphan, and it kind of talks about how it goes on and basically says that those people didn't follow the commandments, and they were stubborn, and they hardened their hearts against doing the law of God and doing the commandments of God, and they were scattered. So there were consequences for them not not acting correctly and not following God's commandments, which included the, um, the care of the orphan. And then the Bible also talks about not mistreating the orphans. So I want to go to Jeremiah 22. Maybe. Okay. One through three. Um, and the Hebrew word here for mistreat has takes on the word of like vex, so not taking advantage of, and again, similar to oppression, not mistreating the orphan. So Jeremiah 22, 1 through 3. This is what the Lord says. Go down to the house of the king of Judah and there speak the word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, who sits on David's thrones, you and your servant and your people who enter his gates. This is what the Lord says. Do justice and righteousness and save one who has been robbed from the power of the oppressor. And do not mistreat or do violence to the stranger, the orphan, or the widow. And do not shed innocent blood in this place. So again, the Lord is telling King Judah and his people how to obey his commandments, otherwise destruction will come. And then also we are to not pervert justice against the orphan. So I'm going to go to Deuteronomy 24. uh, 17 through 18. So you shall not pervert justice, do a strange... To pervert the justice, do a stranger or orphan, nor seize a widow's garment as a pledge. But you are to remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I'm commanding you to do this thing. And instead, we're to execute justice, which is in Deuteronomy 10. And I'm going to go all the way back to 10, 12 through 20. So... 
And now, Israel, what do the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and his statutes which I am commanding you today for good. Behold to the Lord your God, heaven and the highest earth, and all that's in it. Yet the Lord has affection on your fathers to love them, and he chose the descendants after you over all the other peoples at this day. So circumcise your heart and do not stiffen your neck any longer. For the Lord your God is the God of the gods, of the Lord of the lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the stranger by giving him food and clothing. So show your love for the stranger, you, your, you who are strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. Um, so during this time of when the context of this, of the tablets being rewritten, the God... Um, discusses what he requires of his people and how to be separate and how to love him and do his commandments by doing be doers of the word and this is in practicing righteousness and doing what's good and then and that that justice that provision of justice is given to those who are vulnerable and then lastly god desires for us to provide for the orphan so december or december deuteronomy 14 oops and then 28 through 29 It says, and at the every third year, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in that year, and you shall deposit it into your town. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the stranger, the orphan, and the widow who are in your town shall come and eat and satisfy. Be satisfied in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of the hand which you do. And then also in Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 22. Again, it says, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you are to go back to get it and belong to the stranger, the orphan, and the widow, in order that your Lord God may bless you in all the works of your hand. You, when you beat the olives of your olive tree, you are to not search the branches again, and that shall be left for the stranger, the orphan, and the widow. And when you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you are not to go over it again, that shall be left for the stranger, the orphan, and the widow. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, therefore I am commanding you to this various thing. So again, in looking at the tithe of the benevolent offering of that every third year, it, the orphan is included where that extra, right, that that extra portion is left for them and to benefit for them because they have a need and we are to give an excess of what we have. So essentially, um, how God's people treated the widow, the orphan, and the vulnerable is connected to being obedient and doing his word and living out holiness and righteousness by his people. By caring, And so by caring for the orphan, we are essentially doing and engaging in the commandments of God. So what I want to talk a little bit more about is how does this translate into our current lives? Um, so I kind of want to give a scope of what, what does orphan mean in our current nation. Um, and I understand that like children in foster care aren't necessarily fatherless all the time, even though I would argue that most children that enter foster care often have multiple alleged fathers and unidentified fathers. And sometimes fathers are in the picture, but most often in my experience, oftentimes fathers are out of the picture or unaware or maybe just unknown. Um, and so I know that it doesn't translate maybe specifically to this idea of being fatherless. And part of the, the context of fatherless biblically was that in those days, especially if you were fatherless, you would lack provision, right? And that may not be quite the same within our context, but still those who are in foster care definitely fit under this umbrella of vulnerable 
oppressed, um, mistreated, maybe not by the hands of society, sometimes by the hand of society, but often even just in their homes. So in 2021, around 4,000 children were in foster care and 113,000 were awaiting adoption or her permanency, meaning that the court has said their biological families can no longer care for them and they need permanent homes. Almost 48,000 children were in foster care in California, and in a span of 2011 to 2021, the mid-range of children was about 50,000 per year. In Riverside and San Bernardino County, there's about 4,000 children in each county that live in foster care annually. In Orange County, around 3,000. In L.A., 22,000. L.A. County is pretty much the largest national um, amount of children that, that are in foster care. It's a very big county and a um, very um, disparaging. It has the most disparaging numbers. Um, and so I think it's important to just realize that there's that many children that are separate from their families because their families are not able to care for them at that time. So what can we do? So I, if you're like me, um, I often am like, what, is, what do I do with this, right? And it can be really overwhelming because um, not everyone can be a foster parent, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that, and not everyone should be a foster parent. I would argue that it's not for everybody, right? But there are still things that we can do, and I think it's helpful for me if I know how can I be part of this, and so I'm going to kind of highlight some of those things. So I have a couple videos. I know we don't generally pull on emotional heartstrings, but Olive Crest gave me some material, and they do a really good job, and I do think that it's important to put faces to what we see, right? Um, because this is a human experience that, that children go through all the time. So this is one video that they gave me. Um, so I'm going to go ahead. You can play that one, Randy. You don't know my name. You can't see my face. You might not know I even exist. I hate living in limbo not knowing what my future holds. I don't want my past to predict my future. My mom was a teen in foster care. She aged out without anyone and ended up homeless and then pregnant with me. Now, I'm in foster care. What if I end up like my mom? Will I always be alone? God, if you exist, please send someone to step into my story and break this cycle. God, are you even listening? Everyone has a role to play in a child's story. What will yours be? Okay. So I'm going to refer to some language that Olive Crest has, uses. I wasn't even going to pull them in, but I don't know how to separate myself completely from Olive Crest and foster care because that's what I've known for 23 years, right? But so they use this language of champion friend or family. So I'm going to use this context. I'm going to share a lot of what you could, what that looks like within the agency. And then there's a couple other things I've added in. And then I can always, I could talk about this for 
lots of lots of hours, but I probably would bore all of you. Um, but I'm always available for more questions. So when they say champion, what are some of those things that that looks like? You could pray, right? That seems really basic, but you can because there's a huge need that can be prayed for. And so in here, I kind of gave a few ideas of things you could pray for. Um, pray for children who come into care. Pray for children who are caring for families and even biological children um, of uh, biological families for children who are in care, right? Because foster care really is about mending relationship and reunification if possible. Um, and and there's there's a bigger movement towards really realizing that that is the the focus um, and helping also families who come to foster with the intent to adopt to realize that really that their focus is towards trying to build a relationship and reunify that child if possible. Um, especially pray for children who age out of the system because they are some some of the most vulnerable. They are highly likely to end up incarcerated. They are highly likely to be trafficked. They are often very often homeless and often engage in substance abuse problems. Their outcomes are very, very poor. Um, and so they, to me, those, those kiddos that don't make those connections, that don't have that permanency lifelong, are of some of the most vulnerable. Um, you can pray for families who've adopted because we have this myth in society that adoption is this beautiful, glorious thing. And what people don't realize is that adoption is really complex and loaded and rooted in grief and loss. And a lot of families navigate challenges lifelong with their adoptees, right? Parenting is challenging, right? But you add this layer of having to raise someone else's child, essentially, and there's a lot that goes along with that. And so we often forget those families and think they're adopted. These kids are adopted. They're loved. They're lucky. They're fortunate. Um, and what, what we're seeing nowadays is it's a lot more, more complex and loaded than that. So they need prayer, too. Um, and then you can also just continue to pray for children who experience abuse and neglect and trauma. Because clearly, if there's that many children in foster care, there's that many children that we know of that have had those experiences. But there's a lot more out there that we don't even know about. Um, providing material and financial resources. Um, Olive Crest will definitely take your money. <laughs> Um, but one of the things that's really important, and part of why I've stayed with Olive Crest, is they are founded in Judeo-Christian values, and they have a heart to do this work from a biblical standpoint. And so they do they do take government funding, but they also do a lot on their own. So, like, they have a chaplaincy program. I'm going to talk a little bit about one of the things that, that they've um, – uses an initiative that I really think is the hands and feet of the church. And that program is privately funded because they don't want government's hands in it. And it really is because the, the goal of it is to be rooted in church and the community. Um, and so they do need help because they don't have all that they get from the government. And they also have things they want to be able to do so that they can do them well in honoring God. Advocate and share. And then this is another one that I think is really that I think this not on theirs, but I, I'm passionate about is just you can increase your awareness and understanding. So sometimes that's the first step is, right, I don't even know anything about this world. And not everyone wants to, and that's fine. And some people, it's hard, right? Um, but but it's sometimes it's what I have learned in my field even is um, I have started to really want to listen to people who've lived it, who are doing it, who've experienced it, who, like, there's lots of professionals that have lots of things to say, but what is it actually like to be that person? Um, and so I, there's a couple of books here that I'm rec I've recommended of foster and adoptive families. Most of them are rooted in faith. Um, I have some other resources, but 
<laughs> you have to be able to stomach some stuff to be able to listen to that. So I listen to all of it because I think it's important to know what's being said. But I know that, that there's some out there that are really edgy, and I think for some people it would be a lot. But these, these individuals um, either have fostered, they've been fostered and adopted, um, there's memoirs. But I will, I will caution you that their stories are hard to read. So just I'll give you that caveat of it's not fun, fun reading, and it's hard. Um, but it's real. So, and then the other thing I also listed for those of you who like social media, a couple social media accounts that I follow that I feel like they say some really valuable things and could, could provide you education if you were interested. So the other thing is intervention. So what does that look like? And Olive Crest would call this friend. So Olive Crest doesn't do this, but I don't know if any of you have ever heard of what it means to be a CASA. But CASA stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate. I think you have to be 21. Um, and essentially, that individual walks alongside one foster child throughout their entire case. And they really are their advocates. Like, their attorneys um, take take in their information, their attorneys really listen to what the CASA has to say, the judge often listens to the CASA, what the CASA has to say, and help. sometimes the CASA holds as much weight as um, maybe even the social worker does, which is pretty remarkable because foster parents often can't even give their voice in the courtroom. And so that person really just, it's like a mentoring relationship, but really sits with that child and understands their needs and really tries to advocate and kind of figure out what is best for this kiddo. Um, and so that's just, that's a that's not tied to Olive Crest. It's a very secular type thing, but there's organizations that can approve you to become a CASA. The other thing is also just partnering with Olive Crest to support the needs of children, including adoptive families. So this is one of the things that I think we as a congregation could do really well. Um, we, it's kind of like when families have babies, right? So when families foster... Um, there's a lot that goes on when they first get a kiddo, right? And yes, they get a stipend, and sometimes they get they get their needs provided for. But um, there's just a lot of transition, and it's really really hard. And so one of the things that Olive Crest does is provides care communities for families, and it's kind of like a community that comes from a church. And it's like we need diapers, we need nights, we need meals, maybe right? Um, maybe we need transportation or help to get to an appointment. And so Olive Crest kind of finds and is aware of those needs and then connects with that church and usually there's a ministry involved they asked who would that be i said i could facilitate it but i would need more than just me to be able to to do this but but really kind of looking at when there's this kind of instant need how can a church come alongside and care for that family um, or just give them resources so that they can love that child because honestly sometimes just just helping a child transition into home without all the other things going on is it's like bringing a baby home on times 10 sometimes depending on the needs of the kiddo um also providing um just mentoring a youth or child so all of Christ has a mentorship program and so if you wanted to just connect and build a relationship with the youth a lot of the youth they have are they even have them in group homes so they're not necessarily in foster families but um strtps is what they call them now um or even in the thp program which is the transitional housing program which is for youth that have are aging out or are have aged out of the system and a lot of like i said a lot of those kids have nobody right they they really don't they their their connections are um not there so those are just some of the ways that i think that maybe you don't i don't want I, i'm not going to be a foster parent right but how can i come alongside this community and extend 
um, this kind of support so that eventually it reaches the care of the kiddo. So you can play the next video, Brian. Oh, I think it might be back. Maybe not. There it is. When I was seven years old, my parents were going through a divorce, and I chose my mother, and we ended up being homeless, living in the car for weeks to months on end, and we were starving, we didn't know how to feed ourselves. I would go to the fountain, uh, buy Lee sandwiches, where people would throw their uh, coins for good luck, and, and I would scoop my little arms in and steal a couple quarters or, or dimes just enough for us to get a couple sandwiches, at least sandwiches, to uh, survive every single day. Eventually, after the years going by, my mom finally landed a secure place, and then we, you know, lived in that apartment for a while. My mom could not get the help that she needed for her schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. So the cops eventually took us uh, away. We were taken to a holding, and I snuck into the drawer where they locked our uh, phones. I texted our, our family friend and told him where we were, and we were lucky enough to get picked up by them at that time. Now, I, I thought it was the answer, and, and things were going to get better at that time, but, you know, unfortunately, that was, that was really just the beginning of the journey that I had to go through. So I had to do a lot of things like earn my meals. Uh, so I would cut the grass, water the garden, fix things around the house, um, cook certain things for other people, and then that's way where I earned my meals, you know, from the leftovers. So I'd come home, run into things like, you know, trash bags on my bed because I wasn't there to take away the trash in time because I was walking home and I didn't get home on time. When I turned 18, the monthly contribution stopped, so they kicked me out and threw me to the streets. I got my first job. Every day I would walk to work, eventually save enough money for a car, and got my a little place to live in, and then I enrolled into community college. I eventually got through that and transferred into university. I was concerned, like, where am I going to go? What do I do now? You know, I got in this college, but I can't afford it. And that's when I found Olive Crest. Now, the great thing about Olive Crest is that's when everything started to turn around. And, you know, my life started to look a lot better. Thanks to Olive Crest, I was now not struggling to eat. I, I had a nice place to live. I had good transportation. I had a great education to come through, and I walked out with college not only debt-free, but with a lot more money in my bank. A great opportunity that came through all the press was they offered mentors. One of the struggles that a lot of people in my position left with was, you know, people always leaving and there was no reliability. And you always feel like you're alone. But he showed me what it was like to have someone there with you all the time and have someone that was dependable and treated you like a person. I am incredibly grateful for you. Your contribution does work because it gave me something that I never had before, a chance.
So he was a like an older youth, right, who was in the THP program. Both of the other videos, uh, the one other video I have too, they're of those youth. But So he's not necessarily a youth that was in a foster home. In fact, I would argue he had been exploited in his previous foster home. <laughs> what I don't think it was an Olive Crest family, but... Um, but I think it's an example of he also took advantage well of the program. So his story is a success story. They're not all like that, right? But, um, but I think it's demonstrative of, of what can happen when kids have connection and resources. And then the other, the other way that I would say Olive Crest talks about is family, right? And I'm going to talk to you about two different ways, prevention and intervention. So Olive Crest has, and I love it's a program, but I love it. Um, and it started, it was an initiative that started, I believe, in Chicago called Safe Families. And basically this initiative started within um, looking at how churches could come alongside families that were considered at risk or fringe families. And I call them fringe families because they're families that easily could maybe even have kids enter care. Um, but they're also families who are disconnected, who lack community, and they, they don't understand what, like, our experience is, right? Because if we have a need in our community, like, if someone, we had a family that, like, a single mom had needed surgery, and it would mean, like, she had no one to care for her kids, we would care for her kids, right? But for some moms who don't have community, they go to have surgery and to be in hospital three days, their kids now become part of foster care because they have no they have no adult, right? And so it's really looking at where are these families who are at risk in this community and how can the church come alongside and say, hey, I can host a child or a ch um, children for a few days. Sometimes it's a month. Um, and, and usually there's an awareness of what that need is. And there's no foster care involvement. There's no, it's just a safe place for that child to land while their parents, parent or parent, are able to get their needs met. So, like, for example, we just had a foster family I know that's going through the approval process with me right now, and we asked them to host, that's what we call it, host children first because of some physical limitations this individual has to kind of just see, like, can you manage three days with a child, and will your body be able to hold up? And so, like, they hosted one child that was one child of six, Right, and other Olive Crest families hosted as well, so this mom could go on a uh, um, women's retreat in her church. Right, and so I think there's probably someone that is, has not built connection in her church, but. Again, she had nobody to be able to do that for her, and by hosting, they were able to do that. I know um, I had another family host, and they, again, one of six children, and mom had been kind of homeless and needed to find housing. And so different host families took in her kids for like a month so that they she could secure housing and have her kids come home. And so I love this program because it identifies need and it identifies risks, and it helps the church come along and love a neighbor, right, love somebody in their community. And the hope is then that relationship is established so that relationship can continue. And then they become a support system for that individual, just like we would in our own church communities. So that's one way if you're like, I don't think I could foster, but I could host a family. I could host some kids, right? And the approval process is so much easier. There is like an assessment process, but it's very minimal. They fingerprint you to make sure you're not like harmful, right? <laughs> um, but really, and they, we screen families, but it's not to the extent like if you're to become a foster parent, which is much more um, intensive. And then also the other idea is to become a foster parent. And some foster parents do adopt, but you are always a foster parent first, and that really is where your heart should be if you want to adopt through foster care. Um, and, and there is a call for that, and there is a need for that. But it is an intensive process, and it requires a lot of you, and it requires a lot of your family. But it is one definite way that you can definitely care for, for those who are oppressed and vulnerable. So I'm going to have Randy play one more video.
and we're almost done. <laughs> Hi, my name is Lily. I'm 18 years old. When I was three years old, my mom got deported and um, I went to go live with my dad. Living with my dad was a different experience. I struggled a lot feeling safe with my dad's family. My dad was like so hooked off with methamphetamine. It made him schizophrenic. So in a sense, I feel like I kind of got paranoia from witnessing him being so paranoid. When I was 12, um, I told my aunt about what was going on at my dad's house. And my dad and her decided that I was going to live with her for a year. Um, moving in with her was a transition for me um, as I was going into middle school. Um, it was a different neighborhood, a different dynamic. It was just different. Although this was supposed to be a stepping stone for help, it was the, just the beginning of the darkest period of my life. I got into modeling, and then it turned into pornography, and then it turned into trafficking. I had to make decisions that disrespected my body, um, that disrespected the little girl inside of me that just wanted to be safe and taken care of. When I was 16 years old, I was looking for transitional housing, and I found all of Christ. At Olive Crest, this was the beginning of my life coming back. And I met a lot of good people who I now consider family. I was able to make really good relationships with my staff, and there was a therapist on site that really helped me. And there was a chaplain on site who would come and who would basically have little Bible studies with us and bring in that light that we all needed. I was really angry and I was really frustrated. I was really sad because um, a lot of the times I knew that I deserved better and I just wanted to give myself better, but that was really hard to work through with the limiting beliefs that I had, that I wasn't enough, that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't capable of having a better life. Those feelings did start to change over time. Um, I began going to church. I began to become more open with my staff. I began to feel happy again. I felt myself coming back. I felt stronger. I felt like I knew my worth again. And now I can't ever forget it. Okay, so when I started this off today, I kind of started it off from looking at this idea of being part of a global movement today, which is saying that there are many gathering around the nation looking at what does it mean and how can we care for the orphan, um, and, and then looking at the biblical call to say that we need to care for those who are vulnerable and needy. And while we can't all directly care, right, so we aren't all called to necessarily be a foster parent, um, um, or do sometimes even some of those direct things, maybe even being a CASA. There's a way that we can all do something um, to support the needs of these vulnerable children. I also think it's important to, to um, point out that there are a lot of stories that are sad and tragic, and that will always continue because we haven't figured out how to do this all well, right? Our system is still very, very broken. Um, and there are children who 
who do have unfavorable outcomes. But um, one of the things that I think is beautiful um, is God knows, God knew that we are people of relationship. God knew that we need connection, right? And what's amazing is part of why I love this work is because as they do more research about trauma, as they do more research about the brain at attachment, one of the things that, that they continue to find is that the thing that is most healing is relationship and connectedness. And so when I think about what it means to care for the orphan and the vulnerable is to find ways to come alongside those that are doing the work or actually, or you being one of those that is doing the work and, and creating that place of hope where hopefully children can have reparative experiences so that they can be connected and they can be in relationship and that they can have healing. And it's not that it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that there aren't two steps forward and one step back, but that we do that work so that 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 repair can happen. And it's really what God intended for, right? And so science says it, but we know, and God knew from a very long time ago, that he was a God of relationship and connection. And so hopefully we can each be a part of that hope that brings that healing through the power of relationship and family. So that's it. Do you have any questions? Is 18 when they age out? 21 now. They've extended it. Um, so a lot of youth can be in, in a home until 21 now. Um, and is it just a cut-off? It can be. It, so what, what happens, well, kind of what he said, the payments stopped coming, so I was out, right? Now, I will say, like, what we would say to families is hopefully you've built a relationship with your foster child so that you treat them as a kid and they're part of your home and it's not just a paycheck. But that is not necessarily always the case, right? Um, I think our families are good. We screen our families real hard. Sometimes they're like, think we're 